0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash OLLI.
1: Hey, everyone. I hope you're all enjoying this season. There are two episodes left that I'm really excited to share with you, but they are still in the works. So in the meantime, I wanted to replay one of my favorite episodes from season two called Sounds of the Sea, where I interview marine biologist Goldie Phillips about how she listens to whale songs and why humans make it hard for whales to communicate with each other. And the reason I wanted to replay this are twofold. For one, it reminds me of a more free time when we could do things with people, like go out on a boat and eat lunch together in a cramped kitchen without the risk of spreading a formidable virus. And secondly, the whales might have noticed that something is amiss in the human world. COVID-19 has decreased commercial and recreational boat travel, leaving the waters quieter than they've probably been in many, many years. So the whales are experiencing this once-in-a-lifetime relative calm while the humans are experiencing chaos. Anyways, with that... Here is the sounds of the sea. Sometimes when I'm in the ocean, I like to lay on my back with my ears submerged. And the resulting quiet is really peaceful. But that doesn't mean that the ocean is noiseless. In fact, there are many sounds in the deep blue sea. We humans just aren't made to hear them very well. Until the invention of the hydrophone. Basically, a microphone made for recording underwater. Suddenly, the sounds of the sea came into focus. So what can we hear by recording sound underwater? By recording right off the coast of San Diego. This is Rad Scientist, where the scientist becomes the subject.
0: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right.
2: right,
1: hey, let's stick a microphone in. <laughs> Outside Scripps Pier, two women wade into the water with a hydrophone and some headphones. So you're like dangling it, like uh, you're going fishing for sound. Yes, kind of.
2: I'm fishing for sound with Goldie Phillips. I am a postdoc at UCSD. She's a researcher in the Marine Bioacoustics
1: Lab at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography studying the sounds that marine mammals make. I'm hoping that we can hear a marine mammal while recording in the surf, but what we hear sounds more like this. It's like bloop,
0: bloop, 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 bloop. You yeah, know? so you, you hear
2: like bubbles, you're hearing like the waves. By
1: Scripps Pier, the water is so shallow that all we hear are waves and bubbles. When you get further offshore and deeper, you start to capture a soundscape rich with aquatic life. These sounds can tell you a lot about marine mammals, their lifestyle, their population size, their modes of communication. These are the things that Goldie wants to know because she has been in love with the water and the creatures within it for as long as she can remember. She grew up around water in Trinidad and Tobago.
2: So my country being a Caribbean island, um I was always I always I grew up like always being fascinated with the ocean. I was like, okay, I want to be a marine biologist. But I know a lot of people say they want to be a marine biologist when they're like in high school and then they get to like college and they're like no that's not gonna work, but I kind of like I was really determined to be a marine biologist.
1: But not everyone understood her life plan. Marine biology isn't a very common career in Trinidad and Tobago. And when she told her parents that she wanted to study marine mammals for her Ph.D.
2: at Duke... It did not go well. (laughs) My dad wanted me to... I'm like the first person in my family to go to college. And I'm the only person in my family to get a Ph.D. So my father wanted me, like, I guess he put, like, all his hopes on me. And he wanted me to be, like, a medical doctor or, like, a lawyer because that was the thing to do. Um... So he didn't, he wasn't very accepting of it. And I think it was only when I got the Fulbright scholarship and I was the only one from my country to get this, this particular kind of scholarship. It was like three years of science and technology. It was only when that happened and I was like, okay, dad, I'm leaving, bye. I'm like going to do my PhD. And he was like, oh, okay. Like, I think that's when he started to kind of come around. And he was like, oh, it's just like really cool, you know? So that was kind of nice. Goldie
1: starts doing internships studying marine biology. It's at the end of one of these internships when she figures out what she wants to do with her graduate studies. She's in the Bahamas when she sees a pod of spotted dolphins. They look like bottlenose dolphins, but with tiny specks of white and gray on their backs.
2: But Goldie notices something else about these sea creatures. I saw like first time like the you know, dorsal is all mangled because of some strike with a boat. It's one thing to hear about how we negatively impact wildlife and another
1: thing to see it in person. Goldie knew she wanted to have a positive
2: impact. That was a real eye-opening experience to me because that was when I really understood fully like how negatively humans um, could be impacting marine mammals. We are causing... You know, we are threatening the, you know, lives of, like, these animals. We are, like, you know, destroying their habitats. And I think that we also have the responsibility to do something about it. And that was when I decided that I wanted to do something in conservation. She does her part by tracking the populations of the two largest mammals on the planet. So the two species that I'm working on um, are the blue whales and the fin whales. Both of them are endangered species. Those are the ones that you know have the most to lose, so that's why I'm focusing on those. Blue and fin whales were
1: very popular with whale hunters because of their size. Their meat was eaten, and their blubber was rendered into oil. Whale hunting was outlawed in the 70s and 80s, but by then their populations were decimated. It will take years to recover. These whales only reach sexual maturity around seven years of age, and their gestation is even longer than ours, at around 11 months. They give birth to one calf at a time and then wait a few years until the next. You can imagine how important it is to keep track of these species that are so endangered. And you'd think that the two largest mammal species would be easy to track, but the ocean is a big place. So you want a signal that says, whale here, that travels very far. Like this. That's the call of a blue whale sped up 10 times. They make sounds to communicate with each other and search for food. And Goldie eavesdrops on the ocean, listening for these whale sounds. When she hears this call, she knows it's a fin whale. So how does Goldie eavesdrop on the ocean? As I found out earlier, just dropping a hydrophone off the shore isn't going to yield much success for counting whales. So Goldie makes recordings off the ocean with heavy devices deployed on the seafloor in different locations around the Pacific. Goldie and colleagues deploy and collect these devices every once in a while, and I asked to tag along next time Goldie goes out to sea. She said she won't be collecting her devices for a while, but she invites me on a trip with a colleague who studies creatures less glamorous than whales, fish. Stick around after the break to learn what it's like to be aboard a research vessel.
0: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura,
1: I wake up at 6 a.m., groggy, pop a couple Dramamine, and drive to Point Loma to board a Scripps research vessel. I am pretty out of my element on the ship. My feet are normally firmly planted on solid ground, so it makes me feel better when we get some safety training. First lesson is about the alarm sounds the ship might make, like this one. which can mean one of two things. Fire or pirates? It's most likely going to be fire. Abandon ship is, I think it's like seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. Don't bother counting, okay? It's like, man over, no. Abandon ship is, get the hang off this boat now. Something like that. (laughs) Anyway, bop, bop, bop,
2: bop, yeah, you know, get out.
1: Next, I get a tour from Goldie of the ship the whole 1,500 square feet of it.
2: We are on the
1: RV Sproul. The ship is named after a former Scripps researcher. It's been in use since 1981.
2: So this is the wet lab, which as you can tell from the name, (laughs) could get pretty wet. This is the best room, (laughs) because it's air conditioned. (laughs) This is the dry lab, which is also air conditioned. Yay for that. Then on
1: to the bathrooms, or as boat people call them, heads. Why are they called heads?
2: I have no idea, but that's just, I don't know, like, like, I feel like on boats, there's like this separate dictionary that's specifically for boat teams. Trawl,
1: heads, winch. The winch is pretty essential to the whole operation
2: of getting hydrophones to the seafloor. A winch is just a system that you could use to deploy, like, really heavy instruments or um, to retrieve heavy instruments, which we need to do for the bigger deployments. The day aboard the Sprawl is spent traveling to
1: different locations off the San Diego shore, deploying instruments off the back of the ship, then moving to the next destination. We spot playful sea lions and watch birds die for fish. We eat meals in shifts and talk about graduate school. Perhaps the most exciting moment is when the captain approaches us with a picture on his iPhone
0: was on our dip sounder, so Whoa. something large swam under us. That's fairly substantial. Yeah. That's, and that's not going to be any kelp, right? No. That's
2: way too big. Yeah,
0: way too solid. And
2: I think even a sea lion. No, bigger
0: be, than that. Wow.
1: Uh, uh. It's a USO, Unidentified Swimming Object, that I like to imagine was one of Goldie's blue or finned whales. It's dark now and everyone is sleepy. 15 hours at sea will do that to you. This was a short expedition though. Other expeditions can take weeks, but there is a common thread. At some point, the researchers return to land with lots of data, hours of sound, and they retreat to their computers to make sense of it all. When Goldie listens to the data, this is what she finds most of the time.
2: So, like, boats, which is actually the most pervasive sound in the ocean. Goldie and other whale conservationists worry about the ever-increasing
1: boat traffic. Not just because of the boat strikes, but also the sound they make. So this is a large commercial ship. Marine mammals depend on sound to live. They use it to find mates and to find food. The ship sounds can drown out the whale calls cutting off one of their main modes of communication with each other. Ship sounds are pervasive, but there are even louder sounds that have been known to negatively affect whales.
2: So, sonar is also a huge issue because it, it, sonar is like a, it tends to be like really loud, intense signals. Um, which can damage the hearing, and it, and it has been associated with, like, mass strandings of marine mammals. Um, before, like, there was, like, a few years ago, well, several years ago, there was this major, like, a mass stranding of beaked whales in the Bahamas, right after, like, like around the time of, like, uh, some Navy exercises.
1: Hundreds of beaked whales and minke whales were stranded in 2000 in the Bahamas after a Navy exercise involving sonar. It's just another way in which our human progress, our technology, can have unexpected negative effects on the other inhabitants of our planet. Noise pollution can be just as deadly as other, more obvious forms of pollution. It takes awareness of the ways in which we negatively impact other species, and constant monitoring of these species to make sure that we can hold on to biodiversity. Goldie's work estimating the abundance of marine mammal populations helps conservation groups monitor the status of endangered species like the fin and blue whales. So Goldie will be keeping her ears to the water to hear the calls, the whistles, the songs that make it through the ship noise. She hopes that the calls will increase, because that will mean that the whales are coming back. Red Scientist is produced by me, Margot Wall. This episode was written by myself and Jill Gennaro. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher— Logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. Music for this episode was by Culla, Simon Mathewson, and Andrew K.N. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Melanie Drogseff is program coordinator. Joe Linder is programming manager. Kinsey Morlan is podcast coordinator. Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. This program is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. If you like this episode, tell a friend or rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps. Thanks for listening and stay
0: rad. KPBS On Demand